Good evening, everyone. It's great to see you tonight. Uh, it was a great privilege last week to be appointed as uh, pastor responsible for preaching. And you'll notice that the first thing I did last week uh, in that position was to get Pastor Chin to preach last week's sermon on that very difficult passage. That's the perks of the job. Uh, I can't promise uh, Pastor Chin that I won't do that again. Um, but I'd like to turn your attention to the screen just to set the scene for uh, today's talk. Faith, works, salvation. Man, talk about your polarizing topics. Everyone has an opinion on them. Can we work our way to heaven? Does it just simply take faith? And what is an authentic faith? Well, let's investigate the arithmetic behind these important questions and see how the truth really adds up. Some people believe that works equals salvation. Simply put, this is man's effort to work his way up to God and become acceptable in his sight. This is the view of religion, that lots of good works equals salvation. However, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith, not by works, so that no one can boast. Hmm, sounds like something is wrong with our equation. So, let's scratch works and replace it with faith. Surely that's all we need to make our equation correct. Well, we need to tread carefully here. Faith is ultimately what makes us acceptable to God. And we know without faith, it is impossible to please God. But this equation is incomplete. James chapter 2, verse 17 says that faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. So, works must be factored into the equation. One popular view of the salvation formula is faith plus works equals salvation. People think that belief in Christ is important, but that salvation is still dependent upon doing enough good with their life. They rightly acknowledge the expectation that works are involved, but they confuse why they're there. It may be subtle, but it's wrong. Why? Well, look at this quick math lesson. We can all agree that 2 plus 3 equals 5. Thus, since this equation is true, it also means that 3 equals 5 minus 2. A true equation holds up regardless of how you move the pieces around. We call them fact families. So let's return to our formula. If faith plus works equals salvation is true, then the formula of faith equals salvation minus works must also be true. And Professor James has already reminded us that this kind of faith just doesn't add up. Let's try this one more time. We are saved by faith. But James does add something to the equation by challenging us with what our faith should look like. It's not that works create our salvation. Rather, it's that works should accompany our salvation. That's an authentic faith. Growing in Christ-likeness in such a way that our lives bear the fruit of good works. And yes, I know what you're thinking. If this fact family is true, then faith minus works equals salvation must also be true. So if you have no works, are you saved? Let's just say while we can celebrate God's amazing grace, the expectation of God's word is that we would see the fruit of your real faith. So while the math adds up, it should bother you that your life does not. The fact is we are saved by faith alone, but the faith which saves is never alone. Still not sure about all of this? Well, you do the math. We'll get back to that uh, video in a moment. Before we do, I'd like to show you a photo. Can anyone tell me 
what team this is a photo of. Just shout it out. No, not Real Madrid. Manchester United, that's right. Uh, who can tell me what is out of the ordinary in this photo? There are 12 there, that's right. How many players in a soccer team? 11, there's 12 there. One guy shouldn't be there. Anyone know who it is? Who shouldn't be there? One on the left. One on the left. Why, why shouldn't he be there? That's right. Well picked. So this guy on the top left here uh, is not one of the players in the team. His name is Carl Power. And he's like this chronic uh, fraud that goes to sporting events. So what he did was he got dressed up in the Manchester United gear, hid himself uh, with a coat, and at, a, at an opportune time, he uh, evaded the security, strolled onto the pitch, and had his photo taken with the team. Uh, the guy next to him didn't even realise. He's just like, oh yeah, g'day, how are you going? You can just see that the other guy on the left, he's just beginning to notice. He's going, what are you doing here? And just a few, minutes after, a few moments after this photo, uh, he is found to be a fraud and he is thrown out. He's found out and he's thrown out. Now, Carl Power didn't stop there. A little while later, he pretended to be an English cricketer. And in fact, he got all the way out onto the pitch and ready to face the bowler before the real batsman came out. <laughs> he was found out to be a fraud and then thrown out. At the 2002 uh, Formula One British Grand Prix, Carl Power beat Michael Schumacher, the world champion. Not in the race, he just beat him to get to the podium and get the champagne until he was found out and thrown out. Not to be outdone, he managed to get onto centre court at Wimbledon. He and a mate pretended to be two players warming up for the match before the real players came out. Now, he'd never played tennis before, and so the day before in London, he went to a, a tennis court just to make sure he could hit the ball over the net. This is what he said. Oh, that's, that's him again on centre court. This is what he said. Being on centre court at Wimbledon, having the Royal Box clapping, it meant a lot to me. <laughs> it wasn't until they ran out of tennis balls that they were found out and then thrown out. Now, appearances can be deceiving. You can't always be sure that what you're looking at is the real deal. Karl Power, he looked like the genuine article, but he was a fraud. And he was found out and he was thrown out. Now, this has similarities with our Christian lives. Uh, we've just heard read that there is coming a judgment day when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. And on that day, there will be a full disclosure of our lives, which will reveal whether our faith is real. 
It'll be no use saying, hey, I believed in my heart. No. The evidence is a changed life. What we do reveals whether our faith is real. And we're going to even go a step further tonight and we're going to see that what we do reveals the quality of our faith. So we're going to have a look at that this evening. We're going to concentrate on uh, on chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. So there are three points in my talk tonight, three points in the message tonight. First one, what we do reveals whether our faith is real. Have a look with me in verse 5. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. There's coming a day when God will judge the living and the dead. And on this day, the things that each person has done, good and bad, will be revealed. Those things now hidden in secret, the Lord will bring to light and will make public. Uh, He says that in verse 16. This will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ. Verse 6, God will repay each person according to what he has done. Now, this is the principle of exact retribution. You get what you deserve. This is the foundation of God's justice. Uh, It's taught consistently through the Old Testament. Here, Paul quotes from the Psalms, Psalm 62. It's taught consistently through the New Testament, no less than 20 times. Uh, We saw last week what that means for those who are outside of Christ. If you get what you deserve, then the wrath of God remains on you. This was us before we were Christian. But it's the power of the gospel that has saved us and turned God's wrath away. So then what does it mean for the believer to receive uh, what they deserve? To be repaid according to what they've done. What, What can that mean for the believer? It can't mean we get what we deserve, otherwise none of us would be saved. Christians are under grace, and grace means we get what we don't deserve. So what does Paul mean here? You see, for the Christian on Judgment Day, our salvation is not at stake. Amen? God's wrath has been fully extinguished on the cross where Christ bore God's judgment for us. Right? Christ's work is a finished work. We are forgiven. We are now children of God. We can face Judgment Day with no fear and with full confidence if we are in Christ. This is available for anyone here today. If you're not yet a Christian, throw yourself on the mercy of Christ and you will be saved. So what does it mean for the believer to be repaid according to what they've done? He goes on to explain, to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. Paul's fleshing out what he described in Chapter 1, if you remember, the obedience of faith. Obedience is the fruit of authentic faith. 
And Paul's saying here that God gives us eternal life in response to our obedience, not because obedience in any way earns eternal life, but because obedience reveals whether or not we have a saving faith. A persistent lifestyle of godliness, although never perfect in this life, reveals whether or not our faith is real. And that's why Paul can say that eternal life is both the gift of God and the end point of obedience. He can say both those things without tension and uh, without contradiction because he expects that the gift of salvation will manifest in obedience just as night follows day. See, when you're converted, it's hidden, right? You can't see inside someone's heart to see if that faith is real. The doing of good works reveals the salvation that is otherwise hidden. Salvation from first to last is God's work. And our, our works are evidence of God's work in us. They authenticate our faith. Now, there are several ways of putting this, which I, I think help us understand what Paul is saying. Firstly, from the video, good works don't create our salvation. They accompany our salvation. You might say, good works don't deserve God's favor. They demonstrate it. Good works don't earn salvation. They exhibit it. Faith at work produces works. Good deeds do not merit salvation. Good deeds manifest faith. Manifest salvation. Faith is like calories. You can't see calories, but you can definitely see the results. Saving faith is the root that will surely produce the fruit of good works. The apples on an apple tree prove life, but the roots provide life. In the same way, the fruit of obedience proves life. Faith in Christ provides life. Uh, John Stott said, the presence or absence of saving faith in our hearts will be disclosed by the presence or absence of good works in our lives. Now, if I told you that this auditorium will blow up in one minute, right? Click, time is on. It's a bit non-PC, but right? right? And if I told you that and you believe me, you would head towards the exit, right? Hopefully, none of you would push any women and children out of the way. True belief would lead you to do something. A faith that doesn't do something is not a saving faith. Faith that is merely intellectual assent. Oh yeah, I believe there's a bomb here. I do believe that there's a bomb here. Or there's, it's going to blow up. That's not a saving faith. That's not going to save you. That kind of intellectual assent is not going to save you. See, we're justified by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. Verse 8. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace 
For everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, for God does not show favoritism. See, after death, there is for those who hate God, who reject Christ, and demonstrate their unbelief in a lifestyle of ungodliness, there is eternal wrath. But for those who love God, who trust Christ, and who demonstrate their belief in a lifestyle of godliness, there is eternal life. You see, what we do reveals whether our faith is real. Second point, those who do what God wants will be declared right on judgment day. Now, in uh, chapter 3, verse 20, we're going to see soon that Paul says, no one will be declared righteous by the works of the law. No one can keep the law perfectly, so you can't earn your way into heaven by trying to keep the law because you're never going to do it. Rather, we put our faith in Christ's work, in his perfect obedience for salvation. And God, when we do that, God declares us righteous the moment we believe we are declared righteous. You can't be righteous any other way. But in verse 13, you would have noticed that Paul says, it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. And Jesus said a very similar thing. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you'll be condemned. Now, what do Paul and Jesus mean here? Well, salvation is by God's work and God's work alone. It is God's spirit who works in us, faith, repentance, obedience. It's all God's work. And God works in us so believers can now keep the law, obey God in a way that they couldn't, we couldn't before we had the spirit. Now, we do this imperfectly, but our obedience reveals that our faith is genuine. And so that initial declaration by God, the hammer came down when we were converted, you are not guilty, you are saved, that initial declaration is confirmed on the last day. The hammer comes down after our obedience is seen. That ultimate declaration is a confirmation of our conversion. See, when believers stand before God on the final day and God pronounces, you are you are righteous. You are not guilty. That, that will be because of what Christ has done and what Christ has done only. But our deeds of obedience will be consistent with that verdict. Because saving faith always leads to obedience. So we mustn't misread Paul as saying that what we do contributes to salvation. But at the same time, we mustn't allow the truth of salvation by grace to diminish our need for obedience. Uh, C.S. Lewis put it well, as he always does. He said this. He said, Christians have often disputed as to whether what leads the Christian home to heaven is good actions or faith in Christ. But it's like asking which blade in a pair of scissors is most necessary. Can anyone answer that? Which blade in the scissors is most necessary? They're both necessary. 
But we know that faith in Christ leads to good actions. Verse 28. A person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. For the unconverted, the law of God is, an, is external, right? It's on the stone tablets, it's external, it's true, but it's a dead letter. For the, for the converted, those truths that were external, the Spirit takes those truths and writes them on our hearts. And they change the heart so we can now do what God wants us to do. See, if you love Jesus, you'll do something about it. You can't say, I met Jesus, uh, but nothing happened. You can't say that, right? You can't say, I met Jesus, but I've remained the same. You can't say that any more than you can come into contact with a, a high-voltage electric wire and remain the same. You meet Jesus, you change. Your will changes, your passions change, your desires change. Your mind changes, your heart changes, and you live differently. You're going to hate sin. You're going you're to be hungry for the Word. You're going to want to serve Christ. You wanna, you're going to want to live a sacrificial life. You want to care for those in need. You're going to be eager to pray. You can't say, I met Jesus and nothing happened. But you might ask yourself, how much obedience is needed to reveal that my faith is real? How much do I have to do so I know my faith is real? Do my deeds need to reach a certain standard before I die so I can be sure that my faith is real? Well, I think they're the wrong questions to be asking. I think better questions to be asking are questions like this. Am I patiently pursuing a life of obedience? Am I seeking after the glory of God and a life that is honourable? Am I broken-hearted when I fall short? Am I quick to repent when I fail? Do I see any signs of a gradual transformation of my character and the choices I make? Can I see a noticeable difference in the life I lived before coming to faith in Christ and the life I now have? They are the evidences that your faith is real. So let's cry out to God and let's keep asking him for a deep and lasting work of his spirit in our lives. The third point tonight, the final one is this. Some believers will receive rewards, but others will suffer loss. We see this in, uh, it's actually verse 10. Glory, honour and peace for everyone who does good. Uh, the promise of glory is central to the believer's hope in the age to come. And if you read Paul's letters, Paul talks about three types of glory that believers will receive. The first two all believers will receive. The third, some believers will receive. Firstly, all believers will receive the glory of incorruptible, immortal, resurrection bodies with ethically perfected characters. We'll have the character of Christ. Right? We're all going to receive that. 
glorious new body. Uh, You might call that, we might call that inherent glory. Secondly, every believer is going to be a co-heir with Christ. We are going to rule the new creation with Christ. We, We might call that functional glory. And thirdly, some believers will receive praise and honor from God for their fruitful and faithful service in this life. Uh, We might call this relational glory. Now, this praise and honor from God will vary from believer to believer depending on their faithful and fruitful service. Uh, In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul uses a building analogy to make this point. Look at what he says. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. Paul's saying, you live your life, you don't really get your report card until the end. And at the end, you're going to come before Christ and Christ is going to reveal the quality of your work. You see, the supreme test for a building's integrity is fire. Some building materials endure fire, like gold, silver, precious stones, right? And some building materials don't endure fire. They're completely burned up. They're completely consumed, right? Um, Wood, hay, straw doesn't last long in a fire. In the same way, God is going to reveal, one day, the quality of our lives. If we build our lives on the gospel, on Christ crucified, which is to build with gold, silver, and precious stones, then it will be shown to be quality work. But if we build our our lives not on the gospel, not on Christ crucified, it's like building with wood, hay, and straw, and it's going to be completely burned up. It belongs to this age and this age alone, and this age is going to pass away. Paul says, if what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. What's the reward? A mansion in heaven? No. He goes on to tell us, wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. We see it in our passage as well, verse 29. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. The reward that we receive, a believer receives, is praise and honor publicly from God himself. Well done, good and faithful servant. The quality of your work was high quality. And this relational glory will vary from believer to believer depending on the quality of their work. Our reward will also be, will also be seeing Christians that we've invested in. Seeing them at the pearly gates as we go in with them. Right? That's going to be our reward. Paul says, 
For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. The reward of this relational glory will continue into the new age, into, into eternity as a significant factor in our relationships and a source of joy that we will experience forever. Tim Thorburn, who's a local pastor here, uh, and this is what he says. Rewards will clearly vary from person to person, but the joy generated by the rewards will be experienced by all those who share in the new creation. There is no reason to think that varying rewards will lead to varying joy. On the contrary, there is every reason to think that in the new creation, where there will be no sinful jealousy to darken the joy, that all will rejoice equally in the appropriate but unequal glory given to each. And the giving and receiving of praise and honour will have Jesus at its centre, won't it? Because all our labour for God was only because of Christ, only possible because of Christ. So therefore, any glory given by God to a believer will be also given to Christ, and any glory received by a believer will also be shared with Christ. Paul goes on, he says, But if anyone's work is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. The picture here is of someone running for their life out of a burning building. And Paul is saying, if you don't build your life on the foundation of the gospel as a Christian, you will be dragged out of the flames in the nick of time, but your work will be burned. You'll go through the pearly gates, smelling of smoke. The purpose of fire on judgment day for the Christian is not to punish. Our salvation is not at stake, but it is to test the quality of our work. What is consumed is the building, not us. The loss is not a loss of salvation, but it is a loss of a reward at best and shame for our shoddy work at worst. You see, if I build this church, the leaders build this church with human philosophy and worldly wisdom, but we don't build it on the gospel of Christ. If I build this church with charm and personality, not much chance of that, right? But not on the, we're not on the foundation of the gospel of Christ, that I'm wasting my time, I'm wasting your time, and I'm going to have the humiliation of seeing it all burn to the ground on the last day. So there are people living their lives today, and there are churches doing their things today, that in the end, they're just going to see it burnt to the ground and consumed. You don't want to be that guy or girl standing before Jesus on inspection day, and he says, it's all going to burn. I love you, you're my child, come in for all eternity. But all the work you did is trash. It's just going to burn. What you gave your time to, your energy to, your, your, your money to, it's all trash. It's not fit for my kingdom. It's not going to make it. Now that's a sober day. That's a day I want us all to avoid. I want us all individually to stand before God and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I want us as a church to stand before Jesus on inspection day and Jesus is going to say, 
CB Church, you're past inspection. Quality work. Not, I'm burning CB Church to the ground. Our contribution to the gospel will stand for all eternity or it'll be shown to be nothing. What we do reveals the quality of our faith. So I want to finish with this question. Jesus comes back today. You come before him on inspection day. How does it go for you? Is it a good day? Well, yes, because God is going to share his eternal glory with every believer. Each of us is going to have the glory of an immortal resurrection body with ethically perfected characters, a character like Christ. We're going to have the glory of reigning with Christ and ruling the new creation, every one of us. Some believers will also receive praise and honor from God publicly for the quality of their work. It will vary from believer to believer. Will you hear praise from God? Or will you suffer loss? What we do in life reveals the quality of our faith. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that we can now share your eternal glory. We will share it forever and ever. We thank you, Lord, that we are going to have immortal, incorruptible resurrection bodies with a character like Christ. We thank you that we're going to rule with you over the new creation. But Father, we also know that the quality of our work will be tested. And Lord, we, we really do not want to hear on the last day that our work was substandard, that our work's going to be burned up. And so I pray for each one of us that we would build our lives on the foundation of Christ, that you would be number one in our lives, in all that we do, that we would build our lives, we build our families on the gospel of Jesus Christ, that our work for you would be quality work. Lord, if, I pray for those uh, here tonight who are, not doing, who are not serving you in any capacity. I pray, Lord God, that you might stir their hearts tonight to serve you. I pray for those tonight whose lives do not demonstrate that they have a saving faith. I pray, Lord, that, they, that your spirit would so work in them that their lives would be a life of obedience. And I thank you, Lord, that we can come before you on Judgment Day full of confidence because our salvation is not at stake. But we also, Lord, want to come to you on Judgment Day hearing that our work was quality work. So I pray that each of us would strive to do that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.